We're going to briefly look at a text that is uh, one of my favorite texts in the New Testament. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. So we have this wonderful statement, a trustworthy statement, a few times in Paul's uh, letters to Timothy, and I think Titus as well, we have this language of, this is a trustworthy statement. And it could mean that, hey, you've heard this before, but I'm going to say it again. These, these were probably statements that Christians were passing around, uh, small uh, statements packing, packed with uh, wonderful truth. Here is one of them, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So in explaining this, I'm going to ask some questions. Uh, the the first question is who? Obviously, Christ Jesus. Christ is the title, is a title that depicts a role or a function or a calling or a vocation. We could even say a job description, a work. Uh, Messiah, specially anointed servant of the Lord. And when the New Testament calls Jesus the Christ, It's connecting itself with the Old Testament. This Christ is the servant of the Lord promised in the Old Testament. Uh, And it means that he's anointed. He's uh, uh, as prophet, priest, and king. He's fully furnished, fully equipped to do everything he is called to do as the mediator, as the Messiah. His given name was Jesus. Paul uses Jesus Christ a few times, I think most times, Christ Jesus, when he uses both names. This is his given name, uh, Matthew 121, an angel of the Lord told Joseph to name the child in Mary's womb Jesus for, or because, he will save his people from their sins. Wonderful statement. Doesn't mean he will make all men savable, or even some men savable, but that he will save his people. There's therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God, the people given to the Son to be saved by the Son. He will save his people from their sins. Jesus, in Hebrew, is Yeshua or Joshua. It means the Lord save. So even his name and title, Christ title, Name Jesus are packed with information. So it's this one that, here's the next question, what came into the world. This, then this could have two different meanings. He came just like the rest of us do. He was born. He was conceived in his mother's womb by the seed of a man, then born. He is just like us in that. Uh, he began to be when the rest of us began to be in the sacred place of a mother's womb, his conception and his birth was just like billions and billions of others. The words by themselves came into the world could mean that, uh, but I don't think they mean that. The other way, it could mean that he was heaven sent, sent by the Father. And I think this is the best way to understand. Christ Jesus came into the world. Now this statement quoted by Paul here, was well-known and accepted at the time of Paul's writing. So Paul is borrowing a statement from the Christian verbal 
uh, tradition at the time. This statement reflects language used by Jesus himself, recorded for us in the Gospels, especially the Gospel of John. Thus, uh, excuse me, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, I have come down from heaven, this sending language, this this coming into the world language. Now, does that mean that Jesus existed as very man before he came into the world? No, but it does mean there's some sense that this one we call Jesus existed prior to coming into the world, according to his divine nature. He was not sent into the world to become a son of God, but he was and is the eternal son sent or determined by heaven to assume human nature. So that's what I think is talking about here, the incarnation. He came into the world, that is, he became incarnate. The Son of God became incarnate, became man for us and for our salvation, assumed our nature so he could assume our duties and liabilities and bring us to God. I think that's what it means to come into the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth from himself his son, as son, not to be son, as son, to become incarnate. You ever thought about, well, if he's the son of the eternal father, and the father is very God, and the son is very God, and to be very God is to be omnipresent, how can he come? How can he be sent? And the word became flesh. How can he be, become present on the earth if he was already present? See the problem? I think I talked about this a couple weeks ago. It doesn't matter. I'm going to talk about it again. How could the incarnate son, how could the son come into the world if he's already in the world by virtue of his divine nature? I want you to feel that, okay? Because there's a, there's, we gotta distinguish here. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta understand one part and another part, one nature and another nature, united in the person, yet not mangled and mingled so that we have something halfway God and halfway man. Very God, very man. How can the Son come into the world if He's already in the world? Well, he can become present in a new way through a human nature. That's new. That's the incarnation. The presence of the Son of God in a new way, according to a new mode, a human mode, in the mode of a creature generated by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin. So that's the third, uh, third question, where... So who? Christ Jesus. What? Came into the world. Oh, the third question is where? Into the world. What does that mean? Yeah, I think it means incarnation, but it means the sphere of habitation uh, of humanity. So he came, incarnation, into the world. He actually existed in space and time on this earth as very man and yet very God at the same time. So the Son of God incarnate... 
existed outside his flesh, or we could say transcended his flesh according to his divine nature. That flesh, though, was real flesh, and it really came into this world. The place where human beings live, the place where human beings sin, where idolatry takes place every day, where God's name is despised and ridiculed, where murder takes place, where there is hatred for man and God, where adults violate God's law, where children violate God's law, where liars and thieves and blasphemers live, sucking up air provided for them by God's mighty pow- almighty power. That's the world in which Christ Jesus came into into a world of trouble, into a world of a dark place, a place full of trials and tribulation, a place full of sin and death and misery. He did not come to paradise. He was not sent to the Garden of Eden. He came where sin is. He came to a wilderness full of sin. Now the next question is why? And here are the next words, to save sinners. Why did he come into the land of sinners? To save them. This is a glorious goal in the coming into the world of the incarnate son. It's very, of the incarnate son, it's very clear. There is an intention in God in the incarnation of the son of God. What is it? To save sinners. Is it going to happen? Yes. Are there going to be enemies fighting against God in order to save sinners? Yes, you're one of those enemies. Do you realize we fight against God to save us? Even as believers? Um, nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Neither this, nor that, nor this, nor that, nor this, nor that, nor this, nor that, nor any other created thing, which includes ourselves, though we try to stop. We, we try to fight God and saving us and bringing us to glory. We're not going to win that either, okay? He's going to bring many sons to glory, Hebrews 2.10. And even though there are odds against him, He wins against any and all odds. So he's going to save sinners. He came into the world to save sinners. We are sinners professing to be saved by him. The message came, tradition down, passed down to somebody in your life that either spoke it to you, encouraged you to read the book, or get under preaching, or whatever. But it came, and at some point you said, Yes, and at some point after saying yes and coming to Christ most freely, you realize that I did come to Christ most freely, being made willing by his grace. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Not not those born of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. At some point we came and we realized, uh, yeah, I believed something induced or caused me to believe, namely being born of God. Regeneration caused faith. Some of you know R.C. Sproul, and some of you know his mentor was John Gershner. Sean knows him, or knows his voice. Well, I got to meet Dr. Gershner once, and he was in the San Fernando Valley, came to our seminary, actually stayed at our apartment, and uh, lectured at the school, at the college, and then he was out at a church in the West San Fernando Valley where Pastor Rick Anderson was the interim pastor. 
And they, so they were going to have a little Bible conference on a Wednesday night. John Gerstner's there, and, and there's like, I'm not kidding, maybe 20 people. He doesn't care. There's only 20 people. He's just John Gerstner. He just pulled the string, and he just goes, okay? So he's going, going, going. He's talking about the order of salvation, the order in which we experience the benefits of Christ procured by him, redemption accomplished, but applied to our souls, redemption and applied. The order of salvation, the order we experience the benefits, or the ordo salutis, to be used the Latin. Okay, so Gershner's just waxing eloquently, and then here's a man there. He lives in Tatchby, and it's not Mario, and some of you know who I'm talking about. He was single at the time. He's just getting blown away because I was telling this guy who was at our church when we met, I was telling him, you got to come in here, this guy, this guy, this guy, R.C. Sproul, and this guy. I, I don't know everything, but I know that they got something. It's way better than I've ever heard. It kind of explains how he got saved. And so he's sitting there, and Gershner's waxing eloquently on total depravity. And he says, you know, some people think total depravity means we're hurt. We're worse. It's worse than that. We're not just hurt. Uh, we're injured. No, we're not just injured. Uh, and this is an old thing. We're in Davy's locker. Gordon might know what that means. I, mean, I think it means we're dead, right? It must come from an old statement or a movie or series. Another senior citizen, a saint, a seasoned saint knows what it's mean. We're in Davy's locker. We're not floating on the top of the ocean. All we need is a, what are those round thing called? One of those things, life preservers, and so we can grab it. Thank you, I'm saved. He says, we're the corpse at the bottom. We're dead, and we need, li- we need life. So my friend puts his hand up, and he said, well, that would mean regeneration precedes faith. And Dr. Gershner was hard of hearing, so he walks right over, and it's just like right over there, and he says, what did you say? And he said it again. Well, regeneration precedes faith, and Gershner erupted, volcanic eruption. His head, that's right. And my friend was kind of scared. But again, if you think about it, after you come to faith, even under an Arminian ministry, you keep reading your Bible and you go, you being dead in your trespasses and sins, he made alive. God spoke light into a dark place. The first time he did that was Genesis 1-2, right? But he also does it in the work of recreation. At some point you realized Christ Jesus came into the world to save me. Not just sinners generically, but me among whom, Paul says, among the sinners that Christ came to save, I am chief. So I think this uh, sets us up for four lines briefly of contemplation. First of all, for personal acceptance. Remember what the verse says. The verse says this. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. In other words, This is worthy of anyone and everyone here accepting this not only as true out there, but believing it in your heart and head and heart. 
It is a trustworthy statement deserving of full, full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost or chief. So my question is, is this a trustworthy statement in your thinking? If you say, well, yeah, it's in the Bible. How about in your heart, in your life? Do you like believe it? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you, are you saved? Because this statement says this is, this, this is, this is pretty important. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If I'm a sinner and I don't believe in Christ, then I'm not going to be saved. That doesn't sound very pleasant. Second contemplation is for doctrinal instruction. Who is Jesus and why did he come into the earth? Paul is clear. He is the Christ sent from the Father to save sinners. He is the Son of God, now incarnate for the salvation of sinners, and now incarnate still at the right hand of glory. So doctrinal instruction, we learn a little about who, who, who our Lord is. He's not only very man. He's also very God. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. The Father sends the son, the Father and the son send the spirit. That's temporal activities of God that are reflecting some sort of eternal life within God. The Son comes from the Father, the Spirit comes from the Father and the Son, and there's this full plenitude of divinity shared among them. But also for personal assessment. It's a trustworthy statement, worthy of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. Here is the personal assessment. Among whom I am first of all, or among whom I am first, or among whom I am chief. Okay? Paul was not afraid of calling himself the chief of sinners. Now, if you, I think the attitude amongst us should not be, okay, uh, yeah, Paul was, man, he was, have you read Acts? He was pretty bad. He was leading charge of people going into homes and grabbing men and women and throwing them into prison for, for the sake of the way or the Christian way, the Christian faith. He was a really bad sinner. Okay, Paul's chief, I'm second. I don't think that's the way we should look at that. We should say, Paul, you're not chief. At worst, you're second. You're vice chief. I know who the chief of sinners is. He's way worse than you'll ever know. And God is way more merciful than you'll ever know. And if Paul said, well, who are you talking about? Actually, Paul would go, no, it's not you, it's me. And I'd say, no, Paul, it's me. And he'd say, no, it's me. And I'd say, no, it's... Why are we fighting over this? The point is, this is personal. Can you say that about yourself? You know, I don't know Paul personally, but I think that, you know, that, that kind of fits with me too here. Among whom I am chief or foremost, a sinner, even the foremost of sinners. Now, we know Paul was a persecutor of Christians prior to believing the gospel of Christ. He went around from house to house, dragging out men and women and taking them to prison. He was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor. He was a violent aggressor. But notice, Paul does not say, among whom I was chief, among whom I was foremost. I, I think he's... I, I don't think he's discounting the ugliness of his pre-conversion days, but he says, among whom I am. 
Now that's, that's the self-assessment thing I, I want us all to do. Is that how you look at yourself? As presently a sinner, saved, but not what I ought to be. Wretched man that I am. You know, the Paul 7 thing. That's, that's the way we have, have to look at ourselves. We can't have this self-inflated, over-inflated view of ourselves. Because you know what you do then? You, you perch yourself up and you look down at others. Because they are not holy like you are. But if you study the word of God and the law of God and you do intensive uh, psychic uh, archaeology or whatever you want to call it, you're going to go, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. You know? And it's going to humble you, should humble you. That's one of the reasons why we do the law and the gospel every week. Because I want to cut your pride down as fast as I can if it starts getting uh, growing, germinating. You don't want it to find root and f- stability and then grow and infest you because when that happens, it's going gonna, it's gonna to spill over on others and then we'll be a bunch of... We, we can't read this verse and say amen. We'll say, well, I used to be like that, like all those ugly unbelievers are now. And like all those poorly instructed Christians that aren't as endowed as we are with knowledge. You know, we don't want to get like that. Among whom I am chief, Paul, get behind me. We want, I want everybody to have that kind of attitude. But we also, this is contemplation finally for praise, considering the sinfulness of man and the holiness of God, this text calls us to praise the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Full and final salvation has provided, been provided, and released from all guilt, all punishment, all sin has been won because endured for us by another. A righteousness not our own was earned and is given to the unworthy and the helpless. Soul-cleansing power comes to believing sinners in order, first of all, to make them believing sinners and all by virtue of Christ's work for them. See, the gift of faith, the gift of repentance, somehow, someway, it's connected to the work of Christ for you. Because so if you want to say, well, I repented, I believed, I'm going to say... For by grace you've been saved through faith in that, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It is, it, is, it is required of man to believe in him, uh, required of us to suffer for him. Well, the verse isn't coming in my head, but you know where it is. It's in Philippians. We get not only suffering, but we also got repentance. We get suffering as we are Christians, and we got repentance by his grace. Philippians 1, something or other. Sorry, I don't have the verse in me. But all that comes from Christ. Repentance and faith, they're gifts. It has been granted to us not only to suffer, but but to believe, but to repent or believe. I probably should just look the verse up, but I'm not going to. You get my point. You can't boast in repentance. You can't boast in faith. I can boast in sanctification, though, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. Work out your salvation. I've been working it out. Been looking pretty good lately. What's the basis for it? God works in you so that you work out. So there's no room for boasting. 
You were brought to Christ. Yeah, but I keep myself in Christ. You're kept by Christ in Christ. Yeah, but someday I get to present myself. You're going to be presented spotless and blameless by the the work of Christ. It's all Christ. So that should make us uh, very, very glad uh, to be uh, chief of sinners and among others who want to fight for that uh, chief's hat. So this should give us fuel for praise in these brief words. It is a trustworthy statement beyond worthy of all acceptance, excuse me, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Bless now as we um, take the supper together. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.